we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And this week I wanted to talk about something I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast, but I wanted to go into a little more detail. This is about a report from ICE about its enforcement actions and its deportations and how that report had not been released for months after it was supposed to be released, and then what they released wasn't what they claimed. There's a lot of spin and dishonesty in the report that they did release. And so I thought it was worth it to go into it in a little more detail. And to do that, we have two people who know a good deal about this, John Fury and Jessica Vaughn, both analysts here at the center. John was at ICE for four years during the whole Trump administration, ending up as chief of staff of ICE. Jessica has been working on ICE enforcement issues and their relations with local law enforcement for many years now. So we're going to start with John talking about what is the report they released? What was the story with the actual report that they did release and how it's not what they seem to be claiming it is? Thanks, Mark. One of the most important things people to understand at the outset here is that as you noted, the end-of-year ICE enforcement report that everyone has seen produced, published on ICE.gov before the end of December every year for at least the past decade has still not yet been produced. And here we are, end of March 2022. And that's, so that's Republican and Democratic administrations. That's right. That's right. And that report is very important. It's very comprehensive. It is entirely immigration-focused. Remember, ICE has a very large portfolio of what it does. It's immigration and customs enforcement. And so fake Gucci purses and all of that sort of that's thing. That's right. Cross border traffic, things of that nature. And the missing report, we'll call it the ERO enforcement report, is focused ERO's on enforcement and removal operations, the part of ICE that does the immigration stuff of ICE, the I in ICE. That's right. And they produce a report on their own without HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, the customs side of ICE. And that report is very detailed. It has everything regarding arrest data, removal data, ATD, alternatives to detention data. It is very comprehensive, and it's a very deep look, a very granular look at what ICE has accomplished in the enforcement arena over the previous year. That report is something that has been improved over the years. When I first got there, I took a hard look at it, and and we did everything we could to expand it. This is the importance. This is the impact that a political appointee can have, for example. When I was looking at that report, I knew that Jessica, my former colleague at the time and colleague once again, had been able to obtain a lot of data through ICE, through FOIAs, through Freedom of Information Act requests. And I told the folks at ICE, look, this is an important set of data. For example, Jessica, the one thing that you obtained that I thought was really interesting, 
was that large table that had the list of the crimes that the aliens had committed during that previous year. You know, how many DUIs, how many murders, and so forth. And I said to the ICE staff, I said, why force people to file FOIAs to obtain this? You have it. Let's why just, not just release it? That's right. Just yeah. put it in the end of your report. And so we did that. And that report became even more detailed than it was in prior years for the last four years. And it's important because it allows you to compare ICE metrics from one year to the next, but also to compare it from one administration to the next. And since the Biden administration is in the middle of a radical departure from previous administrations in how they go about enforcing immigration law or not enforcing immigration law, now more than ever, we need that data to be able to do an honest analysis. How is it working out? Are your policies actually effective? Are they doing what you're saying they're doing? Well, we don't have that report. Instead, what we did receive about a week and a half ago was something called the ICE Fiscal Year 2021 Annual Report. This is a report that has been congressionally required for about two years now. It is a very topical report. It's a broad report. It looks at all aspects of ICE, immigration and customs, but it even gets into things that maybe aren't all that interesting to the casual reader, personnel, hiring issues, oversight processes. It's not a comprehensive immigration report. But they were kind of presenting it as you people have been complaining about the lack of this report. So here you are. Here's the report. That's right. And they were effective in tricking a lot of people, media, people on the Hill, got confused and thought that that was finally the end of your report we've been waiting for. Well, no, it's not. And not only is it not that report, the data contained therein is very difficult to analyze. It's all narrative. There aren't any tables and charts. There are really no numbers except for numbers that appear in the middle of a sentence. And because it's a narrative report, it's very hard to understand exactly what they mean. You can interpret it different ways. And of course, that's by design. That's what they wanted. Right. Yeah. So from there, we've had to make a number of assumptions. And we we're aware of a number of Hill offices sending in letters, making requests that this data be released. I will tell you this. Everyone knows that the data is available. In fact, the tables and the charts have already been produced. This is something that happens just as a matter of routine practice at ICE. Produced internally, in other words. So they have the stuff on a computer disk somewhere. That's right. And no one in the Biden administration told the field offices not to send the data into headquarters. And so they continue to send it in. They sent it in in October of last year, and the data quality folks at ICE started compiling the tables. The art department started putting the charts together, and those tables have been sitting at ICE headquarters since October. And the only reason they have not been produced is because political appointees or people in the White House said, don't release it. And in fact, what I was told was that the report was drafted. It was sent over to the White House. The White House took a stab at rewriting it, obviously politicizing it, sent it back to ICE. And the enforcement folks, the, the subject matter experts at ICE, looked at it, kind of chuckled and said, there's no way we can defend this. This, isn't, this is not real. And so that's where it's been sitting ever since. So, Jessica, there's two issues here, really. Well, I guess three, but the two issues about the report itself is one is that there was no report for months. And now they've released something which is not what people thought it was going to be. But also there was a certain amount of cooking the numbers. 
if you could tell us a little bit about how some of these numbers were cooked and then why do they cook the numbers? In other words, so why do they feel that they had to do the spin? Is it really that bad? <laughs> yes, it, it is really that bad. In fact, it, it's maybe even worse than a lot of people realize. And I just wanted to point out a couple of things is that John is right. This kind of law enforcement data is produced routinely at ICE. In fact, they have a weekly report that is produced with all manner of metrics on arrests, where the arrests occur, you know, how their docket is going, removals, countries of citizenship, field offices, you know, all manner of things that they can use to keep an eye on what's happening in the way of enforcement throughout the year. And then there's a monthly report that's prepared for the front office of ICE with a few different metrics on various parts of the agency. And there have been leaks throughout the year that deportations were slowing down and officials have testified before Congress about the slowdown in enforcement. And everyone knew it would happen because the Biden administration from day one has severely restricted the types of cases that ICE officers can pursue under this rationalization of prosecutorial discretion. Like, you know, we only have so many resources, so we've got to do a better job of focusing them on the most serious public safety threats, national security threats, and also recent border crossers. And so about halfway through the year, I did send a FOIA request to ICE that we were able to get answered pretty quickly after litigating it and could independently analyze the actual removal records and see that deportations had dropped like a rock. And not only that, that the deportations of criminal aliens especially had dropped like a rock. And these are the, supposedly the cases that ICE is saying and the, and the administration is saying that they are focused on now and that they're doing better, smarter, more targeted enforcement. But there were indications all along that that was probably not the case. And in the meantime, we have one of the most serious crises at the land borders ever in our history with more and more people coming to the United States than ever before. And pretty clearly that one of the incentives is that there's so little enforcement happening within the country. So this all fits in also with the push from advocates and from the Biden administration itself to enact a mass amnesty, which we know from past experiences is not going to be popular if people get the feeling that enforcement is not happening. So before you talk about how bad things are, how much deportations have dropped, the main spin part of the report was this idea that they're deporting more what is called aggravated felons. And that's a term of art in the law. If you could explain what does that mean and how did they goose those numbers to make it look like they were deporting more bad guys than they were before? Yes. Yeah, so after all of this swirling around and this delay in the report, when they finally put this out a little while ago, in the summary of the report, as their marquee claims start talking about the number of arrests of individuals convicted of an aggravated felony as having doubled from the prior fiscal year. And later on in the report, they say in particular that ICE removed an average of 937 aggravated felons a month, the highest level ever recorded since ICE began collecting data. 
So that sounds like a great talking point, right? Like, whoa, see how much better enforcement policies are now. They're removing more aggravated felons than ever before. For a lot of reasons, that's a meaningless statistic and distracts from the reality of a drop in enforcement and a drop of enforcement against criminal aliens because aggravated felon is a specific designation under immigration law that applies to the most serious of criminals, but those cases make up a very small share and always have of immigration enforcement. So, you know, I started to think, how, how is this even possible that they, you know, in the past under the Trump administration that was also focused on criminals when they were going after more criminals, aggravated felons have never made up more than 5% of the deportation caseload. And yet now they're saying that it's the greatest number of all time. It just didn't seem possible. Looking at what I saw going through July, at that time, ICE was at a much slower rate of deporting aggravated felons. I could see from the actual data that I had obtained through FOIA that ICE was removing just under 400 ag felons a month, not the 967 that they had claimed. And so how could they possibly have, have achieved this if they were continuing at the rate that they had done for the first part of the fiscal year on, and also the time under Biden, which started in January, like they had claimed? Well, it turns out that they weren't. Subsequently came out in this article that appeared in the Washington Times, written by Stephen Dynan, that rather than actually deporting more aggravated felons, ICE officers had been told to go back and reclassify cases already in the system of people who'd been arrested and people who'd been removed and make them essentially aggravated felons when they had not been described as aggravated felons before. So basically, they went back and created these high-priority cases to make it look like their enforcement had been much more targeted on the most serious public safety threats than ever before. Why wouldn't they have been classified as aggravated felons to begin with? In other words, why would they have to go back and cook the books? Part of the reason is because in the past, ICE officers never really needed to worry about whether people were aggravated felons or not because they were going to deport them no matter what. They weren't hair splitting on exactly, you know, how bad these individuals were. Right. They were routine deportation cases and they were going to be deported. So there was no need to take this extra step of designating. Also, aggravated felon carries some consequences with it. They have to be detained. They face a permanent bar from the United States. If they come back illegally, they can be imprisoned. There are reasons why they might not want to be necessarily slapping that designation on everybody that every criminal that they encounter and remove. It was really more of an academic or managerial question rather than a matter of having to have that ag felon designation as a prerequisite for enforcement like it was under the Biden administration. Under the Biden administration here... ICE officers had to actually work to make the case for removing criminals who were causing serious problems in the community and so needed to take that step. But even then, it wasn't enough to produce this picture of immigration enforcement that the political leaders wanted to see. Right. So therefore, they had to revise history right, and go right. back and reclassify these people to meet their artificial definition of cases that that should 
be deported. Right, John? Yeah, and I can absolutely confirm what Jessica is saying. People who are listening in may not understand this, but it's important to look at this from the perspective of an ICE officer. There are millions of illegal aliens who have to be deported. Every ICE officer has a large number of people to deal with in any given day, any given week. And the system that ICE officers use to put information on a person's file is very detailed. It's a lot of work that goes into creating a file for a deportable alien. And they can add a lot of information to it. Obvious stuff, name, birth date, nationality. But they can also get into very detailed information on immigration history, criminal history. And if an ICE officer wanted to, they can spend a lot of time creating a very large file for one person. But in many cases, they're going to do what is necessary to carry out their responsibility, which is either the release or removal of an individual who's here unlawfully. So they're not going to spend the time to come up with a determination as to whether or not an individual counts as an aggravated felon. It's not a very easy thing to determine whether a person is an aggravated felon. It depends on where they're located. This very same criminal act might be an aggravated felon in one jurisdiction, in one circuit, and it might not be in another. And an ICE officer doesn't always have the capacity to know which person qualifies as an ag felon and which person does not. And in fact, that whole issue of whether a particular person is an aggravated felon or not is a issue that immigration courts mainly deal with rather than the officers in the field. Right. Exactly. Mainly the person who cares whether that alien is an ag felon is the alien's lawyer right. or potentially the immigration judge. Right. Right. And so what would happen if you wanted to have this data put into the file ICE officers would reach out to an attorney at ICE, a member of, of OPLA, and get their take. And that takes time. Right. And if the person is going to be deported anyway, what's the point? In other words, it's almost like gilding the lily. That's right. Like Jessica right. And said, it might it only come up if the person comes back right. to the United States. Right, right. That's right. And so the information is just, it's not good data. And I spoke to an ICE officer about two weeks ago, and he said this is a complete manipulation of the data when he saw this report come out. As a direct quote. And he said that, look, John, if you had come to me and asked me to put together a report on ag felons, I would have pushed back and told you that it's not good data. We can't do that. It's not collected properly. It's not collected consistently across the country by field offices. So therefore, it's not good data. So from his perspective, to see this being produced publicly as like a sign that Biden's immigration policies are working, it's just, it's very troubling. So Jessica, so how bad is it then? In other words, they do have some numbers in this report they released. And then also you have gotten some numbers and you've been able to impute some numbers. So how, how bad is it? Well, what people should care about is not how many agri-felons have been removed or arrested, but the fact that the numbers of criminal convictions that people can understand, like homicide, assault, robbery, and kidnapping, have gone down dramatically. For example, in 2021, ICE arrested about 1,500 aliens convicted of homicide. Great. But in 2020, the year of the pandemic, 1,800 aliens convicted of homicide were arrested. The numbers of people convicted of sex assault has gone down to 3,400 from 4,400. The numbers of aliens with criminal convictions, serious criminal convictions, has dropped like a rock. In 2020, there were 37,000 aliens arrested who were convicted of assault. In 2021, it was only 19,500. 
it's not that we're getting smarter, more targeted, bang for the buck in terms of enforcement. We're just getting less enforcement. And since most enforcement is always directed at aliens with a criminal history or who are causing problems in the community, when you're reducing enforcement, that necessarily means that the number of criminals who are being removed, who are supposedly a priority under the Biden policies, that is fewer as well. They're not removing fewer criminals because there are fewer criminals. Right. I mean, the crime rate's been going up over the past few years, quite frankly. Right. Exactly. So what that means is the people who are being protected by Biden's enforcement limiting policies are the criminals. They're being allowed to stay here and have the opportunity to reoffend. And many of them are reoffending. Where we see this having an impact is in communities all over the country. And what I hear from my sources at local law enforcement agencies is that they're arresting the same number of criminal aliens, essentially, but ICE is taking action against only a fraction of the number that they were before the Biden policies were put into place. Just to clarify for people, when the local cops are arresting people, they're not arresting criminal aliens, they're arresting criminals, and then they find out they're aliens. In other words, it's not the local cops are not doing immigration enforcement. They're doing their regular law enforcement. And then it's ICE's job to sort of deal with the immigration side of it. And that's what they're not doing. That's exactly right. Someone gets arrested and, and when they're booked into jail, they are fingerprinted. Those fingerprints go through federal criminal justice systems, including Department of Homeland Security. And if the person has a record in that system, then it's flagged and ICE can take action. Well, ICE is issuing, according to the material that Stephen Dynan reported on, 65,940 criminals in 2021, which is about half the number of detainers that were issued in 2020. And not even all of those are being taken into custody. I have one sheriff, for example, who's told me that ICE is coming for about one out of 10 of the criminal aliens that they used to come for. Whereas in, you know, in past years, most of the criminal aliens that were arrested and jailed in his county, ICE would come get after they served their local sentence. Now, essentially, it's only if that criminal alien has actually killed someone will ICE lift a finger to come get them. So all of those who are, you know, stealing cars, members of gangs, drunk drivers, convicted of domestic violence, all of those are able to stay here and often reoffending. John, And the thing is, we know this too. All of the data that Jessica mentioned a second ago, part of that was from the end of year 2020 report. And then comparing against this recent report that was released, those are real numbers. A reduction in arrests of people with homicide offenses on the record, a reduction in arrests of people convicted for sex assaults. But there's another source of data that I was looking at, at ice.gov. I had our 287G program, which is, of course, the program that trains sheriffs to identify aliens that they've arrested for crimes in their jails. And I had them put on ice.gov just some basic data. This is when you were there. When I was there, yes, uh, uh, for FY 2020. And I'm glad I did because they recently updated it for FY 2021. So, for example, through 287G, the number of aliens convicted for assault were down 57%. These are aliens that ICE decided to take into custody through the program. 
certainly the sheriffs had a lot more criminal aliens they could have handed over, as Jessica just said. But ICE took in 57% fewer aliens who were convicted of assault. For weapons offenses, it was down 52%. Arrest of aliens convicted for dangerous drugs, down 49%. Arrest of aliens convicted for homicide, down 43%. Arrest of aliens with sex offense convictions, down 29%. These are serious problems if you're concerned about public safety. But when you take the numbers Jessica mentioned, you take the numbers that I just mentioned, you take a look at the data that was leaked to Stephen Dine in the Washington Times, you realize that any number of these criminals would count as an aggravated felon. So if you're telling us in the one instance that this administration is doing a much better job in aggravated felons, but all of your data show the opposite, something does not add up. Yeah, well, I mean, they're cooking the books. That's the point. Uh, there's some congressmen demanding some numbers. I mean, what can be uh, done about this? I think also, Jessica, you have some other FOIA requests in the pipeline. Yes, well, members of Congress certainly should be demanding more data. For starters, uh, demanding the more detailed ERO report that John described, which would allow them to see for themselves a little bit more about what's going on, um, not only by criminal history, but also where in the country the declines are occurring. If there are certain field offices where they're doing, you know, even less enforcement than others, a lot of that will be able to put out for those people who do want to get into these numbers. I just recently had a couple of FOIA requests answered by ICE and have received, you know, some huge spreadsheets of information of actual removal cases and arrest cases. So we will be able to examine that question. And so I hope people will keep tuning in to our website to see that information. It's going to take us a while to compile it, but I think we'll be able to have a series of reports on this. I'd rather ICE do it because they have the more complete data and you know, would be the authoritative source, but we can keep doing the, the job that the government won't do in trying to get this information out to the public and to lawmakers to use. And to answer the question on, on the Hill, Mark, yes, there are a number of offices on both Senate and House sides that have issued letters or are in the process of writing letters right now demanding that ICE provide all this data. You know, it's an amazing thing. ICE is supposed to be proud of this report. ICE officers are very happy to see this report go out at the end of every year. They wanted to show what they had done. The fact that this administration is not proudly holding a press conference and walking the media through these tables is a clear sign that they know what's in this, these reports is very bad. They know that their policies are creating very serious threats to national security, to public safety, and so they don't want to talk about it. That's a horrible indictment. I think one thing to remember, too, is that there is litigation going on right now. And it's my opinion that the Biden administration is not releasing the data because they don't want the courts to have a full picture of the actual impact of their policies. Basically, they're hiding it from the public, they're hiding it from Congress, they're hiding it from the media, and they're hiding it from the courts. That's not a good sign. Obviously, I agree this is a bad thing. But from their perspective, they are abolishing ICE. Now, they couldn't get away with actually abolishing ICE on paper, so they're essentially abolishing ICE de facto. That's kind of what this represents. And if the majority in at least one House of Congress changes in November, then that allows, I think, Congress a little more of a, a bigger cudgel to do something about it. Because right now, the Democratic majority in neither House is going to be 
subpoenaing people to be answerable for this. Whereas, and, and you know, Congress can write all the letters they want and they can just blow them off and ignore the letter. But once there's a subpoena for a hearing, it's a little harder to ignore. And they may try that anyway. But so the point is, this isn't going to go away. They're not going to start deporting criminals again. And so, you know, next year, this is for the 2022 report. Maybe they'll also want to hide that, but maybe Congress will be in a position to extract that information. If you check out the show notes, we're going to have links to blog posts by both John and Jessica about this report. And we're also going to have a link to the Washington Times story that contains some data that had been apparently leaked by somebody in ICE to the media, which tells you how bad it is where they've got a, uh, the government won't release its own numbers. So they have to, it requires whistleblowers to leak the data. That's all online at our website at cis.org, has John's and Jessica's work and anything else that comes up that we write about on this ICE issue. Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, John. And finally, I wanted to talk about the border. There was a report recently from Axios, which is a news website, that the administration is preparing for a huge extra surge on top of the current surge at the border when and if Title 42 is lifted. Title 42 is a public health measure that allows, during time of pandemic, the Border Patrol to just turn people around and expel them. No hearings, no nothing. And as COVID restrictions are being lifted, and as the administration is being pressured by its own anti-borders supporters, we're almost certainly moving closer and closer to lifting this Title 42 order that authorizes the Border Patrol to do this. It's essentially a pro-border control measure. And the interesting thing is that the Biden administration realizes this is likely to have an enormous effect because something like half the people that they catch at the border are just expelled under Title 42, more than half usually. And some of those people try again And it has, you know, without it, the current disaster at the border would be, you know, worse. I don't know, a mega disaster. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's going to be worse. There's no question about it. One other spin on this Title 42 issue, and we've covered all of this at our blog. Various people have written about it. Uh, Art Arthur and Todd Benzman. There was a piece in the Washington Examiner that said Venezuelan arrests, arrests of Venezuelan illegal aliens at the border was way, way down. And this piece attributed it to one thing, which was that Mexico reinstituted a visa requirement for Venezuelans to go to Mexico, because until then, until January, Venezuelans just had to have a passport and they were just let in. There was no visa that they had to get. And so you had a lot of Venezuelans living in Colombia, who already had left Venezuela, or, you know, Peru or elsewhere, but Colombia is the big place, just buying plane tickets to Tijuana or to Juarez or wherever, border towns, and then just crossing over and turning themselves in and claiming asylum, even though they already basically had asylum in Colombia or elsewhere. And those dropped like a rock. The interesting spin is that, as Todd Benzman pointed out a while back, and then also this week in a piece, We had been, the Biden administration, at the same time as Mexico instituted a visa requirement for Venezuelans, also started flying those Venezuelans who were arrested at the border 
straight back to Colombia, mostly to Colombia, under an agreement with that country's government under the Title 42 arrangement. In other words, they didn't need to go through any hearings or what have you, and they weren't being persecuted in Colombia. There was no plausible case to make for that. And so this examiner piece didn't talk about the air deportations to Colombia. They just talked about the visas. It actually seems likely that both administration decisions, one, to pressure Mexico to reinstitute visas and the decision to fly some of these Venezuelans back to Colombia, contributed to dropping the arrests significantly. But the connection here to Title 42 is the Venezuelans sent back to Colombia were sent back under Title 42. And when that's lifted, it's going to be a disaster at the border. I mean, we already have a disaster. I'm running short of descriptors for it because right now we're dealing with something like 5,000 people a day being arrested illegally crossing the border. And it's entirely plausible ending Title 42, you'll end up seeing, you know, double that. And this is something the administration obviously fears politically, because this would all be coming to a head as the campaign for the November election, November midterm elections approaches. And the conclusion I drew from all of this, I mean, there's all kinds of short-term decision-making going on by the administration and costs they will pay. But it seems to me what this really tells us is that we need to make something like Title 42 permanent and not on the pretext of public health, because that's really not plausible anymore. I'm not sure it ever was, but at this point, there's no public health justification for any of these COVID restrictions, whether it's masks or the rest of it, including Title 42. But the ability to use a claim of asylum, whether it's factual or not, as a gambit to get into the U.S. and basically stay has got to end. And so something like Title 42, but on a permanent basis where everybody is literally just expelled immediately if they cross illegally, unless they make a specific claim of fear of being returned, and even then raise the bar for the plausibility of that claim is essential. Uh, this all comes down to the asylum law. doesn't seem like it. People sort of talk about other aspects of it, but all of this comes down to the post-World War II system that set up the asylum rules that we and the Europeans use. Other countries have all signed on to it, but obviously they just ignore it. This is a significant vulnerability. In fact, it's an existential vulnerability to developed countries and the disaster we're going to see when Title 42 is lifted just underlines the urgency to scrap the entire asylum system as it exists today and start from scratch. That's it for today. This is Mark Krikorian for Parsing Immigration Policy. Our website is cis.org. If you're getting this from a platform that allows ranking or comments, please uh, do so, positive or negative, or just contact me directly at msk at cis.org, and I hope you'll tune in next week. <laughs>